Is this thing on? <clears throat> this is Artscape, an investigation into the artistic and cultural landscape of our region, with your hosts, Katie and Harold. For the next hour, we are going to take a journey through sound and storytelling. This podcast is brought to you by CFUV 101.9 FM, located on the unceded territories of the Lekwungen and Wasanic peoples, created with the generous support from the BC Arts Council. Join us as we uncover the people, happenings, and organizations that make up the artscape in which we live. Episode six. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the thing. We are now on episode six of Artscape, and we're over the proverbial hump. Oh man, that's true. Good, good point. And you know what? I realized that our listeners maybe don't know that much about us. Right. We spend a lot of time featuring other people, but Harold, this podcast is media art, and so we're doing this show episode on media art, so, you know, like, let's let's get to know us a little bit. So does podcasting fit under the media art umbrella? Definitely. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you know, you're, so, so you're learning med- things every day. <laughs> so I'm a media artist? You definitely are. Wow. Because yeah. I work with media. Yeah. Okay. I mean, let's just, you work with media all the time. I mean, you make music. That's media. That's media art too? Definitely. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, you know, no, no, it makes complete sense. Yeah, definitely. So I'm wondering, what is your favorite part about doing this podcast? My favorite part about doing the podcast, I think, is watching the story come, submerge. Or not submerge, but watching the story rise out of nothing. Um, You know, we have this notion of a topic, whether it's media art or sound art, and then talking to these speakers and drawing the connections between them. Yeah. That's fascinating. It yeah. just it comes from somewhere else. You know, I was saying this to actually someone recently, I think it was you on the ride here. Mm. How for me, doing this podcast is the scariest thing I could think of doing. It's it's like I've been a curator for the Ministry of Casual Living for the past three years and I got this job with CFUV to do this arts and culture program, which was like dream come true because I thought, hey, this will be an extension of myself as a curator. I'll get to like curate these people talking about their art practice. And what I realized is that I'm like a bumbling mess and it's scary and 
you know, I don't know what I'm going to ask half the time. And, and, you know, I don't know that much about the editing software. And, you know, public speaking terrifies me. So what, what are the things that scare you? It's, could you say them? What, what scares you about the podcasting experience? Uh, I guess, you know, if you want someone to be honest and vulnerable with you and tell you their story about whatever it is they're doing you have to kind of do that yourself to create that environment so I just find asking those hard questions and you know it's really scary so Hmm. I'm learning is it the thinking on the spot yeah yeah Mm. yeah Well, you're doing a great job because I've never seen you falter. (laughs) Okay. Um, I started to kind of get really uh, nervous and (laughs) anxious about this on the way home from work today. So I was like, oh, it's great when I get to interview other people. But then when I have to say things about myself, it's like, Um, okay, so I'm Kai Plant. And I, I do things that, that make me feel less crazy. Like uh, I recently started making a podcast called Feeling Weird. And I also do things like take photos and sometimes I make videos and I make music. Uh, I ride bikes, you know. The fun stuff. (laughs) There was a time when I needed someone Those days hit like machine guns Doing fine, seeing lots of pretty things But it still gets... Yeah, so anyway, I've always loved taking photos. I can't say I'm like necessarily that great at it, but it's something that makes me feel uh, more human. I don't know. It's a way of expressing myself without actually like putting myself in the photo. Although I do really like taking self-portraits as well, so sometimes I do put myself in. But um, an ex-partner of mine got me a film camera for my birthday when I was... 22 maybe and ever since then I've just like been obsessed with uh, taking photos and it it, it kind of ebbs and flows so sometimes I take lots and lots of photos and sometimes I don't take barely any for like months and but that's kind of just like my process in general is like sometimes I'm I don't know maybe I'm a little bit manic in that way like I just I'll do I'll like write a lot of music and then I won't write music for six months or something like that I'll do something else I guess that's just the way I am like I couldn't ever put myself all into into one specific thing I need like lots and lots of things to do otherwise I go crazy or like more crazy than normal (laughs) while sitting in the chair that other guests have sat in for the feeling weird podcast I asked Kai about the topics they are interested in exploring for the episodes. So, 
the whole idea of it, it it's called feeling weird so it's like anything that any, anything that someone has felt weird about in the past or present. Um, so anything that's like stigmatized by society or anything that's like deemed taboo is something that I'm interested in talking about. Um, I also want it to be inspiring so like I don't, I'm trying to stay away from like anyone that for instance deals with depression and uh, kind of gets like beaten down by it and like doesn't necessarily present a like oh I'm just like so depressed I'm trying to stay away from that I'm trying to like be inspiring for other people because I've found that podcasts like that have really really helped me in the past a lot of a lot of the podcasts will f focus on mental health because that's something that I like really really care about and it's something that I deal with so and like with all of my close friends, that's what I talk about. Um, and I think that people really, really, really need to talk about those things because it's so important and it's like everyone deals with something within the like mental illness realm uh, or they know someone that deals with it. It's like, it's just so insane to me that people think it's like an icky subject. I mean, it is icky, but it's, like, also just totally normal. Um, so mental health is a big one, like depression, anxiety, uh, ADHD, OCD. But, like, I've got a list on my phone of all, like, topics that I want to cover. And so every episode I focus on one topic. And, um, yeah, I have a long, long list, and it's ever-growing. Uh, also things like uh, PTSD and then like abuse, um, what else? Uh, gender and sexuality are ones that I really want to talk about and I don't have that many guests for that so um, I'm trying to figure that out now. But that's something that's like really important to me um, because I think that like more so as a teenager or like in your younger 20s uh, those things are like really confusing and scary and people just keep them inside and it's like no you don't have to feel weird about that it's totally normal to like be a little different than whatever normal is air quotes yeah <laughs> so that's I think that is it. I can feel my there's no end inside I asked Kai if there'd been any moments from the recording of all of the podcasts that stand out in their mind, in particular. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's strange to say because I've only done four episodes, but the one yesterday, there was definitely a point when Sarah was talking. She was talking about addiction and recovery, and, um... I also, I'm an alcoholic, so like her talking about her story was like really hit me hard um, because uh, like I'm sober, and but I don't go to like AA, I don't like have like sober friends that I hang out with, 
and her approach was like totally different than mine so it was like it, I don't know it just it, it really got me and there were times when she was talking that I don't know I almost felt like I was in a different world like it was kind of surreal a bit and I remember at one point just thinking like this is like a really really um, intense and like powerful moment that you're experiencing right now and I kind of like tried to take it all in but it was just like whoa I, I don't know if I even could it was just like I don't know I tried to I, I tried to stay present but it was just like something I hadn't experienced in quite a while to hear someone speaking about something so personal but also something that I could like really really connect with but I think what I learned the most is things about myself whenever I make some kind of art or media. Maybe just the process of creating things is where I, where I get a little bit of therapy. Maybe that's what it is. Because then I'm just not leaving all those crazy thoughts inside of my head to simmer by themselves. I think the aim for every single episode is always for, for at least someone out there, to, for them to hear it and think, whoa, I'm not the only one. I thought I was crazy or I, I, you know, I thought I was the only person that felt that way. Because for me, podcasts have been really, really helpful in that area. Um, I've gone through some real, real dark times and just in, just certain ones have just, I don't know, I, I don't want to necessarily say that they saved me, but like kind of, um, and just being in a place where I wasn't able to like talk to other people, but I could just listen to other people having conversations about things that like were affecting me, um, was just like one of the, the best things that, that could have ever happened to me. Um, I don't know. It, it feels weird to say that about a podcast, but it, I don't know. I think that's the cool thing about the medium is that anyone can do it. Uh, there's no rules, uh, you know, it's just like a free-for-all and that's amazing in the era of like big business owning the media. Um, there's hope, I guess. The past is swallowing your tide. Don't feel I just think the 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 form of the podcast is like the coolest thing right now and I'm sure it will change well obviously it will change and you know maybe it won't be as free as it is now but uh, right now it's pretty fucking cool and yeah this is uh, you know Damien Abrams from Fucked Up the yeah. Band? yeah he's got a podcast and at the end of it he always says uh, you know, like, go and make your own. Go make your own culture, uh, because, you know, that's what I'm doing, and uh, that's all it takes. Like, just go out there and do it. So, yeah, go make a podcast. Have fun.
Do things you want to do. There's nothing stopping you. That's the thing about the po the podcast one. Is like there's nothing stopping you. You can make a podcast about literally nothing, and post it. Someone will listen to it. <laughs> My darkness has begun to blur. You were right. A broken. Tony Hall and um, EMP Interactions is a, a collaborative group of makers that um, focuses mainly on events and music um, and incorporating visual elements into that. We have Steve Bjornsson who does a lot of programming and helps us with uh, like light interactivity and that kind of thing, and Aria Hawker is a uh, motion graphics designer, and I am a I work with environmental aesthetics, so designing the space and the room and the feeling and branding and that kind of stuff. And it kind of came out of school. I, I left school for I went to school for fine arts and left um, two years ago to kind of start doing my art practice in like the quote unquote real world. And um, it's been pretty successful so far. I was studying sound and light at the time and, and making these spaces based off of feeling and really uh, designing emotions for people via the use of the environment. So, and then uh, I've known Steve for uh, like three years and we were hosting events before this all started happening. Um, and we just kind of, we, we ended up working together really well, so we, we started doing events at Lucky too, like doing visuals there, and then Aria and I met, and it was just a good collaboration. Aria and I had never gotten the chance to work together, even though we worked in the same space at the time, and we were both looking to start businesses, and then we just all ended up coming together to make this collaborative business, because we could all do things that the other one couldn't do, and we're all in the the general mindset of creating spaces where people can experiment or like with art and and music and the environment. Tony is the creative director and one-fifth of the organizers of the media arts organization Pretty Good Not Bad that's holding its first annual festival this June from the 17th to the 19th. The festival is aimed at engaging Victoria through dynamic and evocative multimedia experiences such as video, visual art, contemporary dance, interactive media, music, and sound art. And Tony talks about the impetus for this dynamic media arts festival. It's really about providing uh, platforms for that because there's nowhere really in the city, well no festival in the city right now that that makes space for the weird stuff that happens and there's so many wonderfully crazy people in the city that just do weird things and um, like those are those are the people that we love that that we are and um, it's it's really important I think for those voices to be able to have a space to 
to just do weird shit and <laughs> bring everyone else out of the woodwork so so we can all do weird shit together i guess yeah yeah it's i don't know it's like it, it's definitely a, a very a different form of beauty but i think it's one that needs to be recognized and like worked on and worked with As an aspect of the Pretty Good Not Bad Festival, on Saturday, June 18th at 10pm, the folks from EMP Interactions will be creating what Tony describes as an experience for their audience at the Craig X Climbing Gym. Really excited for that. We're, we're gonna... It'll... I guess it'll be an experience. The whole space is kind of curated um, around this ambient music by the performers and so it very much has that that element and that feeling involved in the visuals as well um, so we're projection mapping the walls and like making custom content while also using content that um, mag magnetic ring and sounds have have given us for their own personal feelings and uh, we're going to be working on motion reactive visuals, so when we like wave our arms or something, the visuals are changed and like make it more of a performance that way. Because part of um, what we want to do is be really be integrated into into the the artistic elements of of the night and not just be tech guys in the back like fiddling with knobs and stuff. <laughs> like we we really want to have the entire show be be an experience and be. Um, participatory for everyone that's there. So Tony had mentioned the term projection mapping and I was curious to know what that means. Um, it's like uh, it's just the ability to manipulate video onto a surface basically so like if you have like a, like a pyramid shaped object then you can have this video that would normally be square turned into like three or four different triangles to map on all sides of this pyramid. Um, and then after that would, would become like the, the video mixing. So uh, mixing these like various elements of the video and putting effects on them and um, working with the aesthetics of it that way. So everything's done live. providing a space for reflection and for the event we're telling people to, to bring pillows and stuff and that's normally something that you don't see at an event. It's really about harnessing that that state of reflection and meditation and uh, of, of thought process and how we can help and assist that. I've, I've been relating it to installations by Olafur Eliasson who just basically installed this uh, reflective half sun thing in like, a train station and uh, people just would lay on the ground and just look up at it and the ceiling would be, was covered in like a reflective material so they were staring up at themselves and watching everyone in the room and it was just this really beautiful social but very quiet art installation and I think uh, I think that quiet is is really important especially in an urban setting, being able to have spaces that provide quiet space for meditation and reflection.
The basis of pretty much everything we do is um, psychology and how people react to visual stimuli because it's sound and visuals are just such an integrated part of living in general and uh, really harnessing that through events I think can be really powerful especially through visuals because they're not always prevalent in what people are doing. So after Tony had shared about EMP interactions I was curious to know if maybe they had an art practice on their own. Uh, not, <laughs> uh, yes, but uh, for the past two years, it's kind of been it's been a super big whirlwind. So I haven't been able. I I grew up as a musician. I've been studying music my entire life, and I went into art because I didn't want to study contemporary music. Because at the time, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I've been studying contemporary music my whole life, and I don't want to go into it. So I did art because that was my hobby, and. I just, it was just another form of expressing myself. So near the end of my school and I was leaving, I was, I was really combining those two things of sound and, and light and art. And I guess that's what I would like to, to be able to do on the side now, is really get back into that. I've been really interested in words recently because I'm very bad at words and communication and that kind of thing. So I'm trying to find a way to incorporate words into into what I do, mainly via looping and recording and performance art like I was doing before, but trying a new aspect of it. So really long story short, right now, no, but I have all these ideas and these drawings and these things that I would like to execute within the next year and art shows that I'm planning and trying to get back into <laughs> creating art for for personally selfish reasons, <laughs> I guess, yeah. <laughs> I was curious to find out what Tony wanted for the future for EMP interactions. So yeah, just like, just we want to do more more stuff. We want to like keep on evolving. We've had so many like even in the past two years, we've uh, just evolved the style of what we do on so many different levels because we will get bored of one thing and I'm like, okay, like just another thing, new thing, how do we combine the two things that we just learned and all this other stuff. So we're, we're definitely constantly learning and we definitely want to keep learning and keep on progressing um, and pushing the boundaries of, of what, what we do. Oh, that's a waveform. Cool. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Steve. Should I introduce myself? Please. Uh, hi, I'm Stephen Bjornsson. Stephen Allen Bjornsson. Uh, Steve or something. Um, I'm, uh, I don't know what I am. I'm uh, an inventor, uh, music producer, filmmaker, um, I guess like artist. Uh, I don't really like the term artist only because, well, it segregates, um, and also I know a lot of really, really amazing artists, and I don't really feel like I, I live up to their standard. You know, people who've, who have like devoted their entire lives towards their craft, where I'm kind of, you know, floaty, a little bit, which is fine. I don't need to be an artist. I think I'm a, actually fundamentally a problem solver. Just the problems I work with are generally not um, life or death. Like, 
oh, hey, how do you build a bridge? Like, that's nah, not really what I do, but uh, fundamentally I work on solving problems that I make or other people make. Tell me about a recent problem that you've solved. Oh, this and okay, so this might not be super good of an example, but I work, I'm currently working at uh, Limbic Media, which is a local company that specializes in interactive art and other stuff but um, that's sort of one of their mandates and I'm working um, I'm working through a grant uh, my text uh, grant and I'm doing research in um, filtering or kind of research in audio signal processing and so the last three weeks I've spent building a software toolkit to like assist myself in the tool or in the the project uh, I can't really talk about the project but I can say that like I have to, I needed to automate it, you know. You can spend three weeks slicing up audio samples and putting them together and then running them through a piece of software that you have that tells you information about it. Or you can spend, you know, three weeks generating the toolkit and then, you know, have it automatically be able to make new things for you all, all the time, infinitely. So Limbic Media gets hired by other companies. Yeah, consulting work to come up with art projects? Um, no, not really. They do, like, like they design systems for different companies to do different automation tasks or warehouse management or, you know, like, so you would have a company, you'd be like, oh, hi, um, we have this problem, X, and we don't actually have the, the skill set to solve X, but we, you know, we're, you know, we're a big company and we, we so we need this thing to happen because it's going to save us money in the long run. They call up Limbic Media, oh, hey, can you make X? And they go, yeah, you know, it's going to cost Y. And, and then they discuss it, and then it works. And, and But, you know, through the, through the research that happens or the development that happens at Limbic to develop X, they also maybe come up with Project Z. And Z is some art project that utilizes the technology that they generated as part of their, their work for another company, which is cool. So they're kind of like next level problem solvers. Yeah, oh yeah, they're like the ultimate. If I'm a problem solver, they're like problem solver of problem solvers. They're like a, a like a jumble, or like a bag of problem solvers that you, they just let loose on the world. So um, I work with uh, some friends of mine, um, a company called, I work a lot, uh, a company called EMP um, Interactives, and we do projection mapping for shows. Um, so what pro the problem we've been having recently is we have a couple of computers, and we're trying to do video mapping with multiple projectors, and we needed some way to sync them up. So I found a way to actually link our computers um, over Wi-Fi, and then use one control interface to control all of our systems so we can actually like have a ton of projectors as many projectors as we have computers and we can even have the computers strewn about as long as we duplicate what each computer is doing uh, duplicate the software sort of state uh, across all the systems we can control all of them and they'll be in sync and they so we can do really amazing things um, that we were limited before you know it was a bit of a problem when you had two people and you're like, oh, we're not even in sync with our video, like our videos aren't even playing at the same time, or we're, we'll, be, we'll be beat matching, um, like tempo matching, and our tempos will be out, or anything like that. And so we've got like that, that sort of solved now. Uh, 
I guess when uh, I looked at this video that you created, memory test, that was kind of the first thing that, like, I was just curious about it. And then can you tell, tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so um, in a Unix-based operating system, <laughs> this is going to get a little technical, um, everything is abstracted as a file. So everything, you know, you've got a, har a hard drive, you've got a CD drive or whatever, everything is accessible through the operating system and it looks like a file like if you had a, a, a mp3 you know it like if you know where to look you can find the display and it acts as a file you can open it like a file um, with you can't really you know there isn't a lot of things out there there's not a lot of software out there that you go oh i'm gonna open up the ram but programming languages don't care they'll let you do almost anything so what i did is i was able to on my uh on mac os x i was able to um that area, the RAM specifically, which is the uh, random access memory of a computer, it's where um, instructions are stored and uh, where data is loaded into when you're working with it. Uh, it's protected, it's a protected space, but you can convince the operating system to let you access it. And so I wrote software that sort of combined some previous work I'd been doing, and it essentially opens up the RAM and arbitrarily maps it to an image uh, shape. You know, takes the data, and I would define data as um, when you're not really concerned about what the information holds, a data is just an abstract concept of, of information lined up in a series. And so in RAM, you literally just have a whole bunch of ones and zeros. And if you say, oh, okay, well, every eight numbers is gonna be my red value for one pixel. And every, the next eight are gonna be my green, and the next eight are gonna be my blue. So you take that, and now you have you know, you've defined um, your data. And then you do that over and over and over and over until you've created, say, of oh, 800 pixels wide. And then you go, okay, that's it's a line. That's gonna be one strip of pixels in my image. And you do that and build many, many, many lines and you have yourself an image. Um, and you've, yes, you've generated an arbitrary mapping, but you, you're getting this sort of data flow from the RAM and it's gonna be updated. The space that you're reading it's going to update very, very quickly. And as I thought, you know, I could take and I can make this arbitrary image and then I can pipe it out and I can actually place these sequential uh, sequences into uh, a, a film, into a, a video. It's interesting because that sort of, those tiny steps build the complexity. It is really just a whole bunch of ones and zeros. But once you start saying, okay, I'm going to put a line there, I'm going to end there. And that's going to be one thing. And then you build off that and the bits turn into pixels, the pixels turn into lines and lines turn into frames and the frames turn into videos. And it's through these like small steps that really, I mean, in all things, you're going to make a painting. You have to take a small amount of paint out and you mix it and then you put it on the canvas and the canvas is some shape that you've decided or it's, you know, what, whatever you could afford. And these sort of things, these complex projects or art, air, air quotes, art, they are emergent from these small steps. I'm curious what you would want gallery goers to take away from having experienced the uh, memory test video. I really, I think it like leads back to a lot of what we were talking about. I want people, if you know, with that sort of artwork, I want people to, well, fundamentally at the core, anything I make, I want people to get excited about. I want them to be like children who have seen a bubble for the first time or ate lemon for the first time to see something that like fundamentally they have never seen before never expected and as a result it changes who they are or changes their brain whether for the good or for the bad i mean ideally everything i make is actually has a positive impact but i mean i don't know 
That's not really for me to decide. And I want people to be less concerned or uh, fearful of technology. I don't want them to see a computer as something that to be afraid of or something that I want them to see it as a tool for change and a tool for um, creative expression and a tool for uh, really like doing anything they could ever imagine. I want them to feel empowered by technology. And so working with technology to make art allows me to express that, I think, and allows people to see that these machines are not cold. They are very useful. And if you can, if you learn to use them, they can empower you. They can be used to do so many amazing things and work for you. Literacy, modern literacy. That's, that's what I want people to take away from it. Literacy, modern magic, and uh, childhood joy. Yeah, it's really quite an interesting time to see this sort of stuff. I don't think anyone expected digital art to ever start having these analog human-y traits. You know, it feels so cold generally, like a CD, you can't, you don't really put a CD in the CD player and then scratch it or slow it down. I mean, you can though, and there's, um, it's kind of, yeah, anyway. You're really excited. I'm glad that you really, you're like, yeah, keep talking, um, which I love because I love talking, but I talk so much that I need to drink some water. Now to anyone listening, I'm actually drinking not out of a cup, but out of a small feeding tube. It's the future. Mm -hmm. It's actually, um, it's Soylent. I drink all of my food now. Media art is breaking down the barriers of what um, would, would traditionally segregate the different sections of art. You know, where it's no longer about painting, it's no longer about collage, it's no longer saying these are separate. It's no longer saying, it's about, it's a, it's a group term. It's saying here's, you know, here's art. It doesn't even have to be digital. I mean, digital art is kind of a way of building a wall and saying, okay, anything made with a computer is digital art. But it's like, if I make, um, if I make a music video, that's media art. If I make a painting and I decide that I'm gonna flash lights on it to make it like change, that's gonna be uh, media art. I, I would say that media art is everything, everything that is not defined by the segregation. And I think when you look at like things like the Canada Council or BC Arts Council, they've, they've kind of grouped, they've used that as their term for media art. And I think it's actually, it works really well. well. Anything that doesn't fit into those other categories, apply under media art. Um, I think media art is really, ideally, maybe I'm too ideological, but um, really about breaking away from those constraints and moving into like a more human, humanistic, and equal, like equilateral, is that a, the term? Like equal footing for all people. You know, you don't need a lot of money to make media art. You don't need, you, you know, painting's expensive. <laughs> it's like really expensive, but, it, and this is not a nice thing to say. You go, go on the internet, crack Photoshop, get a free copy or get a 30 day trial or pay the seven bucks a month or whatever. Go to a library, go anywhere and use Photoshop. It's gonna cost you basically nothing and you're going to be able to make really cool stuff. Oh, you want images? Go on Google. Yeah, maybe it's a little wrong to use photos that aren't yours, but you know, in the context of like remix, uh, remix culture, uh, which is a hilarious term, I don't want to really get started on that, but like in the context of like modern culture, you know, whatever, you probably should attribute to people that have created those things, but if you've made it to something entirely different and you've put effort into it, 
it probably is fine. I mean, give credit where it's due, but don't don't sweat it, really. So Meteart. Cool. Um, thank Thanks you. Thanks for contributing some some good insights and beautiful words to Artscape, Steve. No problem. Please check out my website, sabjorn.net. Uh, you get all my um, media art. You know, go see. I got some videos. Got some music that I make. I got um, some writing. I was I'm, I used to be a journalist. That was pretty cool. And I got Instagram, and for some reason a Twitter. Even though I don't know that one. That one's weird. I don't know how I feel about Twitter, but you know, whatever, it's there. And you can email uh, email me. So if you ever have any problems with what I've said, or you got some fact updates, or you just want to be my friend, um, or if you're like a rich benefactor and you're like, I need to help you make your dreams come true, just please, yeah, send me a check. E-transfer. That's my email. All right, peace. Thank you. Oh, okay. Um, I guess I'll, I want to start right because you pointed to me. Yeah. Okay. Um, like name and stuff like that? Sure. Okay. My name is Rick and uh, I work mostly, or did work mostly and might still be working mostly in film and video. Uh, but I enjoyed really a lot of my previous work in mail art, book art, and um, writing. So I've done a bunch of things, mostly not salaried, mostly um, lucrative only in the sense that it allowed me to spend a lot of time doing what I like to do. Um, so that's my intro. Is that enough? Sir? Um, my name is Susie. I um, began my involvement in the arts as the only what it is is I was an intaglio printer, which is uh, something that most people don't know what it is, and it's way too complicated to explain. Um, but that's what I did for a living for well about 40 years. But about 20 years ago, when I moved to Victoria, there what I what printing for other people. There were not very many people in Victoria to print for, so I sort of used the materials and the technical skills that I had acquired working for other people and with the encouragement of Richard, um, segued into my own art practice and um, sort of been enjoying doing that for, it's been 20 years now. So I was sitting in Rick and Susie Raxland's Johnson Street studio, and I discovered that Rick had worked for the National Film Board of Canada. So I asked him to tell me a little bit about the experience. It was out of uh, college. I was one of few people who were working in film and sort of knew something about film. My degree came from a little tiny school in Chicago. So anybody doing anything at the time looked like they were way ahead of everybody else, so 
I was hired initially as a summer student at Ex when Expo 67 was going on, and then I was hired full-time in 1968 and worked there, about, I think, up till 1976. And at the time I knew very little because my instruction had been very loose and, and you could do what you wanted. So um, I, I fooled around initially under the animation camera by accident. Uh, sort of came up with a story about a little boy in a kite uh, and uh, they saw it and liked it and a woman who had left Czechoslovakia, the revolution in Czechoslovakia in 1968, she had worked in animation in Czechoslovakia and came to the film board and the work required tiny pieces of paper being moved under pretty warm lights very very meticulously and <clears throat> like what I had done was like you know a version but very rough so she did the little pieces of paper and from there um, I guess I sort of um, wondered uh, where I was and what I was supposed to be doing because they and then themselves wouldn't put you to work per se unless you were a camera or something like that you know I'm camera I'm lights I'm this so I was sort of director uh, so I eventually found a metier of just working and, and they supported projects. So you had to appear before a committee. And it was a, a very good time at the film board because people uh, like Norman McLaren were still there and a guy called Ryan Harkin who did animation and Arthur Lipset. So it was sort of their golden age and it was really good to be there. Uh, so I worked on my own as a director and then I had to write a project and then they had to approve it and then I had to go do it. And you competed with everybody else for your projects and eventually very yeah I got an award yeah um, so it was it was a learning experience from now I'd say I mean from this point of view I'd say it was my MA and PhD in filmmaking because I had my BA right so it was like nine years of filmmaking so I got my PhD in filmmaking sort of or NFB in filmmaking it's <laughs> <laughs> a nice way of putting it I guess yeah yeah, no, it's good. A lot of people, a lot of interesting, you know, things happening. Montreal was great at that time, really. Pretty lively and pretty interesting. For a long time, I didn't, uh, I took a break and didn't make films, so I got into uh, art book making. So when I came back to film, it was kind of through uh, mail art, art book, art book making, print making, writing. So, uh, it was solo, I was still sort of solo and, and wasn't doing big crew stuff at the film board. You had a you know, crew of five or six or seven or eight, depending. So it was just me, low budget stuff. Uh, video art was big back then uh, in the late 70s and early 80s. So people were doing like video art pieces and I did a, quite a bit of that. And then taught at Concordia for four years and uh, that was good because I got to you know, meet a lot of students stuff like that and teach. I, I never taught before, uh, part-time. Uh, so I'm um, basically a solo artist and work basically on my own and from time to time I have group situations and uh, I can't edit video so I need an editor. I, I tried to edit video for a while but it was just too dead, deadening. And so most of my stuff is sort of either small grants uh, from BC Arts or Canada Council and some cases larger grant and most of it's sort of unfunded and I've made about I don't know 60 70 films most of them short most of them inexpensive and 35 of them are in an archive called uh, 
Cinematheque Québécois. Oh yeah, and I made two features, which is sort of a, out of um, out of line for me, like a large group. I've done a little bit of everything. Yeah, and they were borrowed images. A lot of them were borrowed um, either from like family movies, old movies, uh, you know, and found animation. I had found a piece of animation that I didn't even know who the characters were, or what they represented, and. Uh, that became a film. So, yeah, uh, just, just, uh, just, it was sort of like lots of work, fun, uncomplicated. Yeah, so that's borrowing and stealing in a way and using and not having to construct, a, you know, a whole image world of your own with cast of characters, funny looking, you know, things with ears and funny. But you would take these disparate elements and then, uh, give them a context, put them together in a, in a whole different way that uh, on their own they were just little bits and pieces of ephemera basically and then but you would have like a concept and an idea and put them together and make them into give them a whole nother entity. So an aspect of what Rick does in his filmmaking process is called rotoscoping. And rotoscoping is an animation technique in which animators trace over footage or images frame by frame to create sequences in their films. Just to give you an idea of the physicality of it, to rotoscope, the rotoscoping for one of his, say, five-minute films um, involved because we he finally said he couldn't keep storing them all the the drawings involved I know this sounds like not that not that lovely an image but five garbage bags full of drawings that's I mean, how many pounds? I can't even tell you. Just stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of drawings for five minutes of film. Well, not for Well, there were a lot that of drawings. That was my entire collection. Well, anyway, yeah. a lot of drawings. A lot of drawings. Yeah. So, um, I'm in real time, and I'm analog. Yeah, I'm not technical. Um, so it's it's low tech. Uh, so I'm sort of artisan house slash, you know. Not funky, but uh, if you work outside of like large budgets, anything you do is interesting, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, the problem with large budgets is bureaucracy is really competitive. And I've done it, and uh, Susie, you know, helped me. Is sort of the budgets were kind of crazy, and what you had to prove was crazy, and what you had to redo was crazy. So it, I have a comfort zone of small, you know, small is beautiful, or whatever that is. So a three or four minute film that I don't have to you know, go get money for and I don't have to work on it for like five years is a great thing for me. So short is good. Better, better that than... I think I counted that I spent seven years on my second feature. Just from A, the, you know, the conception to finishing it. So that's the kind of time frame that's not unusual. Or wasn't unusual, I don't know about right now. So life is short, you know. You get old fast. I learned on like a machine like that or even more primitive than that. So I'm still physically cutting film with tape and cutting it together and splicing it together. It's hand, it's still hand work.
for me. And the drawings had to be shot too, yeah, with a camera. Shot. Yeah. A one by one yeah. under a camera. Yeah. So it's it's a long it's a long hand made process. At Medianet, I had seen a film that Susie had created. It's called Ricardo, so I asked her to tell me a little bit about the process of making it. I just did really, really tiny, tiny paintings on 16 millimeter film. That's basically what I was doing. Um, because I had seen what Richard did, and um, it seemed pretty straightforward, just miniature, right? So uh, I had the time, and I had the materials, and I had. I, I had, yeah, someone, you know, to tell me, uh, you know, this is what works and this is what doesn't work, and I found out a bit of that by myself, you know, because I have my own, you know, curiosity, and so I just stood there for hours and hours with tiny brushes and markers, and, and then I had a viewer, and I could sort of see what I was doing, and I was thinking that and I hadn't thought about it before, but it was probably my background in working as, as a printer and having to be so focused on, because I was working for other people and the, the, the process itself is you have to really care about all the tiny details, you know, of what you're doing and be really focused in and really spend a lot of time on your own you know people used to say oh you must be very patient and I I said I say I'm not patient you just have to be incredibly persistent and uh, know that everything matters um, when you're doing that so you have the you have the persistence and the desire to you know be involved with the details I feel that I've been really lucky to be able to have been able to do what I've wanted to do, not be forced to work in a, a situation that w would have just been devastating t to me, you know. I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go and, you know, do a kind of a job that uh, would involve showing up in an office and being there for so many hours so I feel really grateful that I was able for my whole life to you know uh, be able to be involved and and engaged in and doing this even though it's very 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 difficult you know still um, I, I feel lucky to have been able to do it um, and I, I, I cut out a square of um, a French comic and it's di uh, Goofy sitting on, no, standing on a scale where you get a card, you know? And uh, he pulls the card out, maybe I guess it's more than one frame, and says, you are an artist in French, tu es un artiste. And, and then next frame, Goofy says, moi, un artiste? <laughs> so I used that as sort of a, a commentary on a, what do you call it, when you introduce your show and you write it on the wall. 
well, what's that thing, the didactic? Mm -hmm. But that's sort of the, the impression, I, I guess. I'm trying to be like a person who was surprised, you know, that he was considered an artist. And so I think what Susie's saying is we were both surprised maybe yeah. somewhere along the way and went, oh, hey. I even denied it for a long time. When people <laughs> would say I was an artist, I would say, no, I'm not. I'm just a printer. I'm not an artist. And uh, so you were in it, denial. I was. I was in. <laughs> I was in denial for. And then finally, about ten or fifteen years ago, I said, "Okay, I guess maybe I am." All right. So media art. Uh, weren't you telling me the story about a TED talk? <laughs> yeah. So. I don't remember who the speaker is, and we should probably look it up, but, um... Oh, I remember who it was by, Matt Ridley, When Ideas Have Sex. Interesting! Yeah, and how um, no one knows how to, for example, make an elastic band. You know, because in order for you to make an elastic band, you'd have to know how to create, you know, the rubber. You'd mm -hmm. have to understand the machinery that'd be involved to make the molds, to... to you know, to create the elastic shape, the, the the circular shape, and then you'd have to know you'd need the oven perhaps to cook it or whatever you would need. No one knows no one knows how to create an elastic band from the ground up. Right. It's just these ideas from lots of different sources all having sex with each other to give birth to this idea of an elastic band. So that no one really knows how to do everything mm -hmm. in this world everything that we deal with on a daily basis no one knows how to build a keyboard from the ground up because not only would they have to be you know an engineer they'd also have to be a designer a manufacturer and a designer mm -hmm. and they'd have to know how to create the machines in the first place and no one knows how to create the machines because then again you'd have to be a machinist and you have to be a craftsman and a manufacturer and, and all, yeah. all those things right so everything in our world is a remix Everything in our world is this byproduct of ideas having sex with each other. I love where this episode is going. I think it's really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I think that's what a lot of our guests are touching on when they're talking about media art and they're bringing in this topic and, you know whether making podcasts or doing projection mapping and uh, you know making videos and making films making mm -hmm. animation all of those things lots Work of different ideas just working. coming together yeah. and giving birth to something newish yeah it's I mean I think we've talked about this before in Artscape but I just want to emphasize it again it's like process, you know, coming back and learning from your mistakes and working with pro process. I think that's what we've been doing for Artscape, you know, we're trying to learn along the way and remind ourselves that every mistake that we make is a way for us to learn a little bit deeper about ourselves and the show and the process of doing it. Do you agree? Absolutely. Great. 
It's been fun. This is fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I hope everyone else who's listening is having fun. That's really... I hope they're bringing new ideas together and letting them have a little, you know, hanky-panky and uh, <laughs> <laughs> letting the new ideas blossom out of other people's work. Yeah, exactly. It's completely okay. Yeah. Just let it rip. Bring on the hanky-panky. <laughs> <laughs>